St. Warburg's Derby. So, um, we've kind of been in a bit of a different series over the summer, done a few slightly different things. And in our morning services, we've been going through some Old Testament characters. And so this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to do a bit of a two-parter just to kind of wrap up the summer series before we get to celebrate on the 16th of September. And we're going to look at um, a little book kind of tucked away at the end of the Old Testament, Story of Jonah. And um, for some of you, you'll know the story of Jonah. You'll have heard this. You may have um, understood the, your, or remember at least some of these stories of this man being thrown overboard uh, into the sea and being swallowed by a fish. And the reason we want to um, look at this book is because I think um, Jonah has the funniest line in the whole of Scripture in it, which... Um, This is how my head works, so just indulge me for a few moments. In chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land. Now, I think that's funny. It's not a kind of immediate kind of laugh-out-loud, rip-roaring funny. But just picture this scene, right? This fish, or some translations call it a whale, swims along. And because God's told it, suddenly it vomits. And in that vomit comes a fully formed man who flies through the air, covered in fish stomach gunk, and lands on the ground. That is funny. It's funny. And so that's why we're going to look at this passage of Scripture. That's it. That's the only reason. It's because I find it funny. It's not true. But it um, gives me a, does allow me to talk about that. But for some of us, if you know the story, if, or you've even just caught up on the story just from what I've said there, you might be thinking, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, Phil, you've, you, you're asking me to come along to church and you're asking me to, to get my head around Jesus being the Son of God. You get asking me to understand the fact that he came and lived amongst us 2,000 years ago and that this man died, was risen to new life, defeated death, came alive again. Okay, I can just about get my head around that. And now you're trying to tell me that someone got swallowed by a fish and then vomited onto dry land. That's just too much. I can't, that's a fairy tale, surely. That's just a kid's story. I don't, that cannot be true. If you come with those questions, I want to say to you, that's a, that's a great place to start. Come asking those questions as you read and interpret scripture. But I want to say that those questions are questions that kind of really only we would be asking. There's kind of a modern day question to ask. Is it true? Is it real? Can I believe this? Remember when this story would have been first spoken, not written but spoken, the original hearers wouldn't have been asking, is this true? They would have been asking, what does it mean? What does this story mean? What are the symbolic and metaphoric overtones that are going on within this story? And actually, if you think about it, that's what we ask when we now watch movies. When we think, oh, we don't ask, is it true? We don't want to know, you know, we know that Luke Skywalker's not true. We know that. But if we do start to think about the stories and we ask about the symbolic and the metaphoric overtones. So I want to ask you, if you've come with those questions, is this true, is it right? Just for a moment, leave those questions there and pick up 
the original questions. What can I learn? What, is, what does this mean for me? And as we read this passage together, be asking those questions. So we could jump in to Jonah chapter 1. Um, if you've got Bibles, open them up. Otherwise, it will come up on the screens. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked him, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Let us pray. Loving Father, we want to ask the questions. What does this mean? What does this mean for us? Can we learn anything from this story? Holy Spirit, will you speak through me this evening? Take my words and use them for your glory. Help us to meet with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've um, just got back from holiday, and we were really fortunate to be able to go to Sardinia, um, which is a really hot country. It was lovely. had a great time, and uh, my mum and dad paid, so it was brilliant. And um, whilst we were in Sardinia, we were staying in a villa, and uh, kind of, it was quite a secluded kind of place, and there was just up the driveway from us was where the owners of the house that we were staying in, the Airbnb, 
would live whilst we were using their house. And so on the, one of the final days, I decided to take my three children to just to have a bit of a walk around and see what we could find. And, and um, it was kind of one of those really hot type of places, you know, where you can hear the crickets kind of going through the summer and they kind of almost see like a heat haze rising up. And we're walking around on very kind of crisp, dry, grassy, wispy land. And as we're walking, my three daughters, who are aged five, eight, and 11, were kind of, I don't know, about two meters ahead of me. And suddenly, my middle daughter, my eight-year-old, absolutely brought out this scream that was, I mean, it was kind of blood-gurgling. It was, un, I've never heard her scream anything like it ever before in my life. And, you know, normally, like, kids scream all the time because someone's stolen their sweets or they've pushed them over or they've done something but this was this was like a scream of a whole another level and then she legged it like I have never seen her move so fast she was out of there before she could even I could even blink she was done she was running away by the time I managed to catch up with her and the other two had gone with her as well and they were kind of screaming and running as well I kind of what is it what is it what is it she had seen a snake on the ground. And um, for her, this would have been the first ever snake she'd ever seen in the wild. I have to ask, I, I mean, I didn't actually get to see the snake. I, when I went back to where she had been, there was a, um, like a, a pipe that might have been on the ground that she might have cons- thought was a snake. It could have been absolutely nothing, or it could have been a snake that we don't know. But she legged it. She was out of there. The fear of what she had perceived meant that she was running as quickly as she could, in the other direction. The story of Jonah is the story of someone who ran away. And so the first question I have for you this evening is what are you running away from? What are you wanting to escape? What is the thing that you are so scared of you're not going to go there? You want to get away from that as quickly as you possibly can. Maybe it's a relationship that's gone sour and you just want to get away from that. You want to get away from that person. You want to be away from them as quickly as you can. Maybe the thing that you're running away from is a past. Maybe it's something that's painful, something that's been done to you or something that you've had, you've, you have caused some kind of pain. Maybe it's financial ruin. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's, if you're single, it's singleness stuff. You just don't want to deal with it. It's too painful. I want to run away and ignore it as quickly as possible. Maybe it's our insecurities. Maybe it's a recurring sin. Or something that we know that is in our life that we just want to run away from that. We want to escape whatever that may be. Chapter 1, verse 3. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, we might think that running away is a bad thing and, and that we might want to judge Jonah. We think, oh, come on, Jonah, why are you running away from God? But let's just put some context to this story a little bit. Jonah, we believe, lived around 800 to 750 BC. And um, at this point, there was a guy called King Jeroboam, Jerobim, King J, let's call him that, the second. 
important we know that he was the second. And what he did, which was really significant for Israel and for the Hebrew people, is that he had established the northern border. Remember, Israel had gone into what they believed was the promised land. And they had had for about a century a battle between Damascus and Nineveh and, and all these other places up in Assyria where they would fight over this battle. Where is the border? And King Jeroboam, Jeroboam II or whatever his name is, had made this border secure during the time of Jonah. Jonah, all he would have known, all that he would have lived through was conflict between his nation and the nations from the further north. And at this point, God says to him, go. Go to Nineveh, your arch rivals who have been murdering you, killing you, fighting over your land for the last hundred years. Go there and tell them that God is calling them to repent. Nineveh today is more or less Mosul in Iraq. We, you would have heard of Mosul uh, throughout the time, in particular as ISIS rose. And there was huge fighting over claiming the land of Mosul. So I imagine now, God says to you, go to Mosul. Go tell ISIS that they need to repent because God's judgment is coming upon them. I think you would have acted exactly the same as Jonah would have did. The did. You would have run as far as away in the opposite direction as you possibly could have done. So he went to Joppa. He headed, which was on the coast in Israel, he headed for Tarshish, which we believe could well be kind of Gibraltar, south Spain. It could be that Tarshish was just a kind of name for kind of a place far, far away. But if it was in Spain, that's about 2,500 miles in the opposite direction to where Nineveh was. Can you blame him? Can you really blame him that Jonah wanted to put some distance between what God had called him to do and the fear of what he saw and get away in the other direction? So what are you running away from? And if we're honest, we might stand here and go, can we really blame you? Can we really blame you that you want to run away from that, the fear of whatever that may be? Maybe you have a sense that God has called you. He's spoken to you and has called you to do something specific. Maybe it's a vocation. Maybe it's teaching or in healthcare or social services or something where you go, ah, oh, God's really wanted me to do that, but I, I just can't. I can't. It's too scary. I don't want to give my life to that. Maybe the call that you believe that God has upon you is actually the God might be calling you to come and lead a church. Scary bananas. Or be a missionary, or be connected to a certain people group, or say, I want to really work with this type of person, because this is what God has called me to do. But you're going, it's too scary. It's too big, I don't know where to start, I don't want to go anywhere near it, I'm going to run away in the opposite direction. Maybe the call that God has upon your life is simply to love your neighbor as yourself. But actually, that's too hard. I don't want to go there. I don't even, I don't even know the names of my neighbors. They park across my driveway. They keep us up late at night. They play loud music. I don't know. No, no, no. Maybe God's called you to restore broken relationships or to face in and look into some of the pain that you may be carrying with you at this time. 
But the fear of that makes you want to scream and run away like Sophie did from the snake. Now Jonah not only ran away, but he fell asleep. Jonah got into a boat, headed in the other direction. The storm blew up. Everyone else around him, these trained sailors who knew how to deal with the seas, were panicking and worried. This must have been a huge storm, and Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. He doesn't want to face into the storm. He doesn't want to face into reality. In fact, what he wants to do is hide out of the way of all of it. Maybe this evening you're thinking to yourself, I'm not running away, but I'm hiding. Actually, the the most comfortable thing that I want to do is get my tracksuit trousers on, get under my duvet, and lie on the sofa and watch Netflix. I don't want to face the pain I'm carrying. I don't want to face that insecurity that's dragging me down or that challenge that keeps making me go round and round. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to hide out the way. Sometimes we get stuck in our pain. Our identity becomes the pain that we're carrying, that we find that, that this is who I am. I'm defined by this thing that has happened to me, and I'm stuck here, and I'm comfortable here, and I'm too scared to move on to what is next. And so I hide away. Today, um, we prayed before the morning service, and we prayed again before the evening service. And there's something, I think God is trying to say something to us today as a church, that there are people here who feel like they're just going round and round in circles. This morning it was a picture of a kind of spiral staircase. This evening it was a picture of someone on a, um, on a hamster wheel just going round and round and round over the same stuff. And I have this sense that God is saying to you, I don't know who it is, that if that's because you're carrying some pain, you're too scared to look into something, to face into something, you just feel like you're going round and round in circles. God tonight wants to say to you, step off that wheel. Step off that spiral staircase and trust him. Jonah, notice, was too scared to face into what he felt God was calling him to do. So ran in the opposite direction and ran straight into another storm. When we try to run away from whatever it is we think God is calling us to do, more storms will follow. We cannot get away from him. It's better to face the storm with God than run away from the storm that we think God might bring to us. So humanly, they try to sort it out. These sailors try to connect and work, work out what's going on. They start to throw their cargo off the ship. They try to say, well, we'll get rid of that. We'll make the boat lighter. Then they try to cast lots to work out whose fault this is. Then they try to say, okay, well, maybe it is Jonah's fault, but let's, let's row back to land. The wind, it's too windy. We'll row. We'll put all our human effort and strength into getting us out of this situation, to getting us safe, to making sure that we are saved. And they cannot do it. They cannot do it in their own strength. We cannot get out of our storms. We cannot think our way, physically act our way. We cannot work these things out unless we turn to God. For Jonah, there needed to be a sacrifice. Jonah was thrown overboard. Jonah's name I believe Jonah actually means dove. And in Leviticus, we read the fact that um, a dove is a suitable sacrifice for poor people who aren't able to bring lambs and other animals to to the temple. Jonah was a sacrifice. 
he was given. And as he was sacrificed, the sailors started to praise God. And then Jonah starts to praise God. End of chapter 1, verse 16, we read this, this. The men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice, another sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows to him. He surrendered, he sacrificed. When we let God be who God is, when we say, okay, I cannot do this on my own, I'm trusting you, that's when we see change. Notice this isn't anything to do with just face your fears. Just face your fears and get on with it. No, 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 no. I, I absolutely do not believe in that. And I'll tell you why. And this happened this week. Um, I took Zoe, our eldest daughter, uh, to Alton Towers um, because it, she starts secondary school this week and it was a kind of last kind of daddy-daughter date, date thing to celebrate the fact she's going off to school. And um, Zoe loves all of the major big fast rides. I am petrified of heights. So um, this was my sacrifice for my daughter to go and do this thing. Um, on Thursday, it just so happened that the ride with the shortest queue was Oblivion. Oblivion is horrific. I mean, it's, there is no other, it's absolutely disgusting. You know, it's the ride where they ride you around to the top, they hang you over the edge, and then you just do this vertical drop. It's utterly horrendous. Like, it's not, it's not natural. It's not human. You shouldn't do it. So... Um, being the kind of brave man that I am, um, we get to the top of oblivion, and I kind of braced myself. I kind of tensed every single muscle in my body. I breathed in, held my breath, shut my eyes, and just kind of... <clears throat> until we got to the bottom. But we had to do this three times. And um, I faced my fear, and all I can tell you is the next day, I could barely walk. I mean, the pain in my back was excruciating. I'm an old man. It's not right. It shouldn't be done. Don't face your fears. You will not conquer your fears by facing them. It does not work. Sorry, end of rant. What does work is trusting God. It's trusting that he is in control. Is going, I'm going to surrender to you. And in the midst of my surrender, I am going to worship. I'm going to choose you. Let's read on into chapter 2. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very hearts of the sea, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sank down. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation 
comes from the Lord. Jonah's gone from running away from God to being able to say salvation comes from the Lord in the space of these two little chapters. He's, everything has changed around. He has turned to God. And I want us to note at this point that Jonah is making this prayer from the inside of a fish. Let's, again, let's drop those questions about whether this is right or wrong. Let's see what we can learn from this. Jonah, it, I don't know about you, but I'm not guessing at this point, if it was me, that I'm desperately thinking I've been saved. You might think I've gone from one extreme horrible situation into another. I don't understand what goes on inside a fish stomach. I'm, I'm, I, I, I just I have no idea. I know that in a human stomach we have acid. And that acid starts to kind of work out all of our food and get rid of the junk stuff and use all the good stuff and, and work out how our stomachs work. And, and that, I don't know, but if that works in a fish's stomach as well, that's going to be painful. It's going to be smelly. It's going to be disgusting. I don't know what Jonah's thinking about. Oh, he's think, is he thinking, oh, I'll be out of here in three days? No, I don't think he is. But as Jonah realizes and as he has surrendered himself in the midst of his pain and in the midst of the storm that's going on around him, his situation doesn't change, but he changes. His heart is transformed. His attitude shifts. He stops complaining and running away and being scared of what is to come and going after what God has called him to do. And suddenly he's saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. You love me. You're with me. You're for me. You've picked me up out of this pit. What has changed isn't the situation. It is Jonah. It is him. I don't know what situation you are in. I don't know what you're running away from. I don't know what you're thinking. This is too scary. I can't face that. Maybe it's too scary. You just don't want to move. You're you're petrified. You're stuck in your insecurities. You're, you're, You're stuck on the sofa in your tracksuit trousers. You're sleeping your way through it. I want to say to you this evening, the thing that will change you is surrendering to Jesus. Jesus, some 800 years later, comes along and picks up this imagery. He picks up this, what they call the sign of Jonah, this being in the belly for three days and then being vomited onto dry land, and he says, this is me. This is, it. This is who I am. Jesus, for whom the fear of what he was being called to do was the cross, was Calvary, was dying in our place, was being separated from his Father in heaven. And Jesus didn't run away from it. He didn't say, no, no, that's too scary. I'm not going to go there. He said, if that is your will, Lord. He surrendered. He was the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that died our death so that we could all know relationship with God. That in the midst of Whatever storm we face, in the midst of whatever it is we're trying to run away from, whatever fear or insecurity or past or pain, whatever it may be, there is hope because there is a God who loves us, who sacrificed himself for us so that we can have life and life eternal. We can have hope and purpose and meaning and identity. 
Salvation comes from the Lord. We get changed by surrendering ourselves. Stop trying to do it all in our strength. Stop trying to be the person who can work it out or can physically make it or can change the situation and be someone who goes, I surrender to you, Jesus. I'm going to praise you in whatever circumstances I find because that is where my heart is changed. My view has changed. Now for Jonah, his situation does change. Chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord commands him, the fish to vomit him onto dry land. His situation happens. But that comes after he has surrendered and after he praises. It's It's not a causation thing. It's not like if you surrender and praise, then your life will be changed. No, no, no. It's that God changes our heart in the midst of it. So may you know the God who loves you and who's with you, the God who is in the storm with you and who sacrificed himself for you so that you can have hope and be changed.